Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how are you today? I couldn't be better today, Tim. Uh, we are coming off of a wonderful interview that we are very excited to present to the listeners. I hope everyone out there is doing great. Uh, Tim, Tim, you're nodding. You look like you got some, uh, looks like you're recovering from your COVID bout. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for asking. And yeah, we speak with a fantastic author here today. Her name is Marla Bernard, and she wrote a book that's brand new from Wild Blue Press, and it's called By the Side of the Road. And it's a true story of 15-year-old Anne Harrison, who was abducted and murdered while she was waiting for the school bus. And it's such a privilege to have folks like Marla on who will take a tragedy like this and tell a story that is so rich but also has a lot of meaning to it. Uh, pretty rare to get somebody on who has a direct connection to the family, uh, Marla and her husband, who are both former law enforcement, are friends with the Harrisons. So they were working with the family as she developed this story, and we get into that a little bit. But the case of Anne is really, really tragic, and the perpetrators— were executed, and I didn't think that that was going to be as fascinating when Marla was talking about that whole process. But yeah, definitely don't skip over that. It's super interesting to hear Marla's thoughts on that. Absolutely, and you can get Marla's books on Amazon, and there's a link in the show notes. All right, everybody, thanks a lot for listening. Follow us on social media at Crawlspace Podcast or Crawlspace Pod. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome to the podcast, Marla Bernard. How are you today? Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for joining us. Uh, before we get into your book, which is due out tomorrow, so we'll uh, give you a congrats on that. Um, we definitely want to talk about this, uh, the the case, the murder and abduction of Anne Harrison. But uh, first, can you tell the audience a little bit about yourself? You have quite a background in law enforcement, and your experiences are pretty amazing. My background in law enforcement, in 1981, I became a reserve officer for the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. And at that time, they did not have very many um, women on the department in general. And I believe there were only two other females in the reserve unit. And I went on to become the only female sergeant in the reserve unit and served there for 10 years. It's also where I met my husband, who is uh, retired Sergeant David Bernard, who had been with the police department for 28 years, 21 of which were in homicide. So when I need a consultant, I have an excellent person to back me up on that. We also were friends with the victim's parents and Harrison par Harrison's parents, Bob Harrison, was also a reserve officer on the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department. At that time, I did not know him, 
but there is one of those six degrees of separation, if you will. Um, my background is I have a master's degree uh, from Baker University. I have, um, although my primary employment was actually in the healthcare arena, but um, security and, and administration and those type things, I have taught college level courses in investigations and other aspects of law enforcement. Um, and I've also authored some articles for that. Um, oddly enough, I am on a lighter side of, of things because obviously this is pretty dark um, stories that I tend to tell. I have been published in two uh, volumes of Chicken Soup for the Soul. So um, there is, you know, there's always light at the end of the tunnel. There's always a, a positive aspect. And you find that those are the things that you really have to have to kind of seek out. You have to mine them sometimes when you're dealing with situations such as the violent murder of Ann Harrison um, or the uh, book that I wrote called Through the Rain, which is about um, violent murders of two little girls, two separate murders here in Kansas City. My gosh. Well, I, I want to ask you about um, all of your, your writing here, but how did you get involved with the uh, Chicken Soup for the Soul? You know, I have a tendency sometimes to come up with an idea for, for a story and um, just want to put it down. Um, my daughter and I were actually in New York City um, this was the pre-Giuliani era, and so it, it was a little dicey to be in Manhattan. We we went there for, um, um, my employer actually sent me there as a, a bonus to see Phantom of the Opera, of all things. And we had um, an interaction of sorts with uh, a homeless individual, and that experience that we had, which was really kind of a surreal experience, was one that I wanted to document and share. He was he was there, and then he wasn't, and um, it was a powerful experience. So that's kind of how I did the first story, and then the second was when my mother passed away, and there was this black butterfly that kept following us. And I thought there's got to be some significance to this and actually did research on it and found out it's the, a black butterfly is called the mourning coat, which is actually mourning with M-O-U-R-N um, to mourn. And so, you know, again, it's in chicken soup for the soul. It does have positive aspects, but then again, you have that tendency I try not to to walk on the dark side, but I think sometimes those souls seek you out. And if you can share their story, it uh, kind of keeps them alive. And that's what I intended to do with Anne. And, and I certainly hope that I did her justice. I just looked up the uh, the morning butterfly, also known as the morning cloak, I think. Yes. Yes. Yeah. The morning cloak. That is a that is a beautiful butterfly. Yeah. They they are stunning. And. I had no idea that there are um, cultures and religions that actually um, embrace that. And so it was a story that I felt was um, deserving of being shared. And it, it was uh, um, something that I just wanted to, to document and, and share. So 
Um, but and saying it out loud now, it does seem like I do have a tendency to kind of lean on the dark side of things. <laughs> but I think those are stories that people find informational. I know I do personally, and I think they're stories that need to be told. You also said that you use your husband as a consultant at from time to time in your writing. What Because you two were both in similar aspects of law enforcement, what is it that you typically lean on him for? I lean on him for the details. I am bragging a little here, but um, also factual. David is nationally recognized for um, his investigations. He's done uh, a number of high-profile cases. He's been featured on America's Most Wanted, 48 Hours. Um, some of those those programs, um, he's investigated serial killer cases here, conducted um, seminars on it. And if I want to get into, tell me about what happened. What is the process? What's the process for the investigation? How do you... How do you find this evidence? What happens to a body in particular? Uh, kind of an, a little off topic, but kind of gruesome um, example of this. Um, through Ancestry, I found out that um, I have a relative who, uh, Margaret Stevenson Scott, who was the last victim of the Salem witch trials. And I want to do a book on, on her um, kind of a, fictionalized biography, again, to kind of give give a life, give a story to someone other than her being a footnote on Wikipedia. Um, and so I had I asked David, I said, at that time, what happens to a person? What is the process that they go through uh, when someone is hung? What happens to the body? How long does this or that take? And right off the top of his head, I mean, he is so um, informative. He, um, you know, things that, you know, gives me sources for how to go about um, finding additional information, um, what actually happens. So it's very easy. I have my own little Wikipedia um, sitting in the recliner downstairs. So it, it uh, is very beneficial for me and I take full advantage of it. Yeah, that's very cool that you have that resource there. And I like the fact that you two um, are able to do this and you're able to use it in your work. And uh, does he ever like give you like a like like a like a joke answer just to see if you're on your toes? Uh, a lot of times. Yes. A lot of times he will say something and I'm I'm like I'm just horrified or are you kidding me? But I kind of have learned by his body language and and and. Um, tone of voice. I used to, um, I have found that you can either beat them or join them. And from a survival standpoint, at least for your mental health, joining them is much better. Um, so I've, I've learned to adapt. He would come home in the middle of the night after being on some grim crime scene, come in, wake me up, tell me what he had seen I would I would be sitting up, eyes wide, want to turn a light on, terrified in the dark. And then he'd just go on his merry way. So it's kind of like that old song, you know, take a load off Fanny and put it on someone else. I was kind of his recipient for that. So I, I've learned when he's telling me the truth, I've learned when he's he's kidding. 
Um, or at least I hope so. I, I fall um, victim to it once in a while, but not as often as I used to. Very cool. And um, in your about the author section on the Wild Blue Press site, it mentions that you're a victim's rights advocate. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your work in that realm? Absolutely. I am in my spare time working on um, getting a certification in that, but I have been privileged to speak um, on behalf of victims. Um, ironically, David and I are members of Parents of Murdered Children here in Kansas City. We're, we're kind of um, honorary members. Uh, obviously, we are, are blessed that our children are alive and well and healthy, but two of David's uh, cases, the ones that I had mentioned about the little girls that were murdered, um, both times by parents, uh, it was the mother and the boyfriend in each case. And there is no one to take them flowers to the cemetery. There's no one to represent them on the victim's rights week um, that they hold through parents of murdered children. They kind of don't have anyone. So we have informally adopted them. And by virtue of that, we have participated in events related to them. And again, to try and keep their memory alive, to make sure that they have a candle, they have a photo, they're represented. Um, and by virtue of that, I have been invited to do speaking and some advocacy for that. And, and I feel um, very honored to be able to do that for them. And the little girls were named Angel Heart and uh, Erica Michelle Marie Green, who was also known for five years in Kansas City as Precious Doe. She was a little girl who was decapitated and dumped in the woods. And the community really um, embraced her as David and I did. And we actually... My son and my husband were actually her pallbearers when she was buried. Um, and, you know, I bought the teddy bear that she was buried with. Um, so that's kind of how, um, kind of through the back door, again, you can either fight it or you can embrace it and become a part of, a part of it. They are in your life anyway. And so I've tried to make it a positive way of, of dealing with that. So that's where the, the advocacy comes in. Good for you. That's amazing. You. Yeah. You. Yeah. That's uh that's, that's a really great work that you're doing. And you wrote a book called by the side of the road. Where did this all start? On March 22nd, 1989, Anne Marie Harrison, who was 15 years old, was standing 65 feet from her front door standing at the curb, waiting for her bus about seven o'clock in the morning. And um, within a matter of about eight minutes, she disappeared. Um, what we would subsequently find out was that she was abducted and taken to um, the south side of Kansas City. She lived in the east side of Kansas City, so about 10 minutes away. Um, in the course of Less than an hour, she was raped, tortured, murdered, and uh, abandoned in the trunk of a stolen vehicle and taken to another location and left to die in the trunk after two hours. 
Um, so um, again, knowing the Harrison family was kind of the um, impetus for my wanting to document Anne's story and, and talk about um, our involvement. And my husband and I, after 26 years, her killers who had both been sentenced to death uh, were finally execu executed in the Missouri death chambers. And David and I were witnesses. My, 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 you were witnesses to the execution. The execution. Yes, sir. How does that happen? The state requires witnesses um, outside of um, the corrections, uh, the Department of Corrections. They have their witnesses. Then they also have witnesses for the public. And David had witnessed the execution of um, one of the individuals that he had arrested for a pretty heinous crime. He was um, sent a letter from the Department of Corrections asking him if he would be willing to be a witness for um, the first of Ann's um, killers, Michael Taylor. And David agreed. And I. I asked, um, it, it, that's, it's still kind of hard for me to talk about, but I asked to be able to do it because Janelle Harrison, Ann's mother, could not do that. The, the family obviously are always the family of the victims, the family of the individual being executed or invited to do that, or the um, opportunity is made for them, um, invited since a little little too positive, but they are, uh, they have the ability to do it if they are willing to do so. Um, I knew Janelle could not do it. I wanted to do that for her for one split second time, maybe to take that burden off of that mother and be able to do that for her. Um, never knowing how many years we would spend and how many trips we would make to um, Bonterre, Missouri, which is actually the correctional facility where executions are done. We would go down there, be prepared for it. You psych yourself up for this. It's really qu quite an ordeal. And then they get, they get a stay of execution and you go back. And then a year later, six, or six months later, sometimes several years later, you go back and you do it again. So we had gone through that multiple times. Um, and and it really is, um, it's very emotional. Was it very disturbing to witness? Ironically, it's, it, it's, it's hard um, to explain. It is, it is not the Green Mile. It is, um, not dead man walking. Those Hollywood sensationalized things. Uh, it's not law and order or aftershock. Um, it um, is very quiet. It is very sterile. It is very respectfully done. The um, prison system in Missouri did a very respect, handles it very respectfully. And so it's kind of a contradiction when you think about, uh, especially in Ann Harrison's case, the way she was 
um, abducted, the way she was forced to crawl on her hands and knees and beg for her life and the things that that she suffered versus someone who is literally just laying on a gurney covered from chin to toe with a clean white sheet, um, very, again, very sterile hospital situation. It's in very much in slow motion, very much like watching someone fall asleep and um, very anticlimactic, if you will. I, I say in the book, and I, I will always say it was not justice, it was retribution. There is no closure for families, but there is some modicum of peace that comes with it. Actually, the, the first one, we were witnesses for the state. The second execution, we were witnesses with the family. And um, Anne's father did attend that one. And we were there with him for that. And when you said that there was a uh, modicum of peace, was that also in regards to the person being executed? Did you feel like he was, I guess, in a way at peace because it was coming to an end? I, I don't know that they necessarily were at peace. Um, these two individuals went on to um, just kind of like life as usual for the, the amount of time that they were in the prison system. Um, I, I would say acceptance, most likely, um, rather than, than peace. I don't know what they were thinking. I know that one of the individuals um, lied about having sent the Harrisons a letter of apology right up to the very end. Um, but it was it was as dignified and painless, if you will, method of of dying as um, I think anyone could anticipate. The method that is used in Missouri is one that they use, I believe, in the UK. And I think um, when they were doing those, I believe it was either Oregon or Washington State. I apologize for not knowing right off the top of my head. A method for people who want to um, have assisted suicide, if you're a, a cancer patient or what a terminally ill patient, who elects to do that where it's legal, and I believe it is the UK where it's legal, it's the, the same method. So if one is going to choose to do that of their own volition, um, you kind of can get a, a sense of, of what they would that individual would experience in the process. There was, again, it's not dead man walking. They don't raise you up on a gurney that looks like a cross and there's, no crying, none. They cannot see you. Um, you can see them. Um, they cannot hear you. The family with Michael Taylor, he did, uh, I believe, turn his head and say something to the family. They could not hear what he said. I don't think anyone ever knew what he said. But again, there's not that movement. That's There's not all of that. They do not see the person that's actually administering it. Um, it's, it's a, again, a very 
very clinical, very dignified way of terminating a life, especially again, when you compare it to what the victim went through. Not that there's any comparison. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And how, how did this crime happen? Um, like what what went wrong in these guys' lives that that put them on that road? With Michael Taylor, the family, he came from a, a very good family. Um, they were church-going, loving family. I, I do believe that um, the minister of their church said he just had always been a problem. Um, he was um, involved with drugs, but not to any, any extent that we've seen that this was a, a drug-fueled thing. Um, same with Roderick Nunley, the other killer. They were they were professional car thieves and that's what they did for a living. Um, Roderick Nunley actually was a suspect early on just by the MO of the way the vehicle was broken into. And they stole two vehicles um, early in the morning. They think between one and 3 AM the morning that Ann was abducted um, they were driving around the city. They were steal. They stole T-tops off of vehicles, and there was, um, for lack of a better description, a repair service, if you will, that knew they were stolen and would buy them. So a chop shop, technically, is what it was. And they were waiting for the place to open. They'd had. They were drinking wine coolers. Um, uh, Ironically, at three o'clock in the morning, um, a police officer who was um, in Lee Summit, which is a suburb of Kansas City, just right on the the line, tried to stop their vehicle because they had a broken taillight. And Nunley took off, um, speeds up over 90 miles an hour. But when they got to the city limits, that Lee Summit officer was not allowed because it was just a taillight, was not allowed to pursue them into Kansas City. So they they knew that they were um, uh, being pursued, but they were able to elude the police. And again, they they drove around just killing time. Um, Originally, Anne was standing there. She had her um, school books, her purse, and her flute stacked next to her on the ground. And the intent was that they were going to steal her purse. Um, And again, they're just driving around. They're on a side street. This isn't a main thoroughfare. She's not out where there are any witnesses or anything. She's just in a quiet suburban neighborhood. Um, And um, they were going to steal her purse. And Michael Taylor jumped out of the car and decided instead of stealing her purse, which they left all her belongings at the scene, 
he was going to steal her instead. And that's um, where the story, unfortunately, begins. And what was it about this particular crime that made you want to write her story? Where did the book start? What was the first thing you did when you decided to, to write it as well? I had written Through the Rain and was having a, a conversation with the Harrisons. Again, they're, they're friends of ours. And Bob, out of the blue, said, I know a book you can write. And for me, I had thought for a long time, for years, that Anne's story needed to be told. But I did not want to ask them. I did not want to open wounds or, or redo that, um, it put them through that again. Um, but I have to tell you, these are the kindest, most generous, loving people who have two other daughters, younger than Anne, who were open to it, um, very generous with the information. I tried to do as much as I possibly could um, getting the, the uh, actual trial transcripts, which are in the book. Um, so there's no, there's no bias. There's no, hey, this is what she thinks happened. They are actually the, the transcribed records. So um, the reader knows in their words, in the suspect's words, what, or actually killers, they weren't suspects, um, um, what they were thinking, what actually transpired, and what what went through um, the whole legal process. But um, having children of my own, having a daughter that was a couple of years younger than Anne, um, I just felt like her story needed to be told. She was a, a, a sweet, sweet girl. She was an honor student. She was an athlete. She had um, a part-time job that she worked at a grocery store. Um, her boyfriend, she had a, a little boyfriend, had, um, had had nerve cancer in his leg and um, was going through chemotherapy. And she would go up to the hospital. He was actually hospitalized when she was abducted and murdered. Um, and she would go see David and she would sit with him when no one else wanted to because he was so violently ill and suffering so much. But she was a friend to people. She was just a sweet little girl. And you can't even say she was in the wrong place at the wrong time. She was in the very right place, but it was the, the wrong time. Timing is everything. And um, those individuals crossed her path um, and she literally was not doing anything, you know, and we see cases. I think there have been two in the media recently, one where a lady was jogging and uh, abducted and murdered. And I saw one, I think it was the day before yesterday, where it was an attempted one. And um, so I guess those individuals are, are always out there. But um because of who she was, because of the community that embraced her, because of the length of time and what her parents had to endure for so many years, I just felt like her story needed to be told and maybe give her 
some memorialization, a little bit of memory. You know, there's a, a song that I like to, to quote a hundred years and uh, five for fighting when you're 15 years old and you only have a hundred years to live. When you're 15 years old, you think you have a hundred years to live and she didn't. And um, so I, I wanted to try and, and honor Anne in that way. And um keep some emphasis on that, on, on the victims, because they do tend to get lost in the system. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for mentioning that. How was the investigation um, run and how, how were the killers caught? The inve- investigation, they had two really great seasoned homicide sergeants. Um, the case started out with a gentleman named Troy Cole, who was working the homicide unit when they got notified that Anne had been found. So they knew that she had gone from being um, a missing person to um, a victim. And that case was handed off to a gentleman named Pete Edland. And he was on what they call murder squad here. Um, Captain Gary Van Buskirk, who was over the homicide unit, had developed it so that it, it is a specialized team within homicide. They rotate the squads and they take turns being on murder squad, which is kind of a 24-hour, you go out immediately when you have no immediate suspects, a victim, no information, and you work that case. So that's how how they got the case. They actually, um, like I say, when they found Anne, um, she had been missing for about 37 hours. Uh, It was a call, an abandoned vehicle in front of a house. Neighbors called. They found out that it fit the description of a vehicle that had been stolen out of Grandview, Missouri. Again, just a little suburb very close to our state line uh, or our city line. Um, And they contacted the lady whose vehicle was stolen. She responded with her boyfriend. The officer at the scene was processing the vehicle to turn it over to the lady. She brought keys And he was just inventorying the vehicle, um, making sure that he had all the information he asked them to, uh, well, he had not yet asked them to open the trunk of the vehicle. The boyfriend had brought um, a can of uh, antifreeze because she was having some problems with the vehicle. They opened the trunk and discovered Ann's body at the scene. And at that point, they knew they had a homicide. The um, dome light, the the Primark to break into the vehicle, the dome light was um, detached, the radio was stolen, the way that the car was broken into on the left side of the steering column, the way the ashtray had been removed, were all marks of Roderick Nunley's work. It was pretty classic. He was a well-known auto thief here, had been arrested in and out of jail for auto thefts, um, which they were continuing to do in the city subsequent to Ann's murder. They had several. Um, So he was brought in for questioning among other people um, within about two weeks of the crime. Um, But again, he left no evidence um, or, you know, no fingerprints or anything at, at that time in, in, 
in, initially, um, they were able to do sweepings and fine hair and, and fiber and whatever. But that's that was the genesis of how the homicide investigators got involved in it. They had um, identified both suspects, positively identified both suspects within 60 days. Taylor was incarcerated on uh, a stealing charge, so they knew who, where he was. Took him an additional 18 days to locate Roderick Nunley. And uh, they had a, a, a tips caller who was a friend of Nunley's who wanted the reward and provided um, a tremendous amount of information that was never released to the public. So they knew based on what he was he was telling them, um, they, they knew um, that these were the two individuals that had committed the crime. And then, of course, there was DNA and, and lots of other evidence that supported that and their confessions. And when you finished writing the book, were you able to show it to Anne's parents? And have they read it? Bob has read it. Um, Janelle did not. She said she probably wouldn't, um, given that she there were things that she possibly has forgotten about that she didn't really want to think about again. And I, I so respect them for that. But uh, Bob has read it. Um, family has read it. Um, and um, again, that for me was the hardest thing to, to, to ask them um, to consider doing it. And then hopefully presenting something to them that um, did did justice to the case, to the to the family, certainly above all to Anne, um, the um, law enforcement officers, uh, two of the investigators that I, I interviewed who um, truly personalized it and you know, crossed that line of making it personal and and still to this day, it, one in particular, it was very hard because he started to cry. And those kind of interviews after after this many, you know, it was 1989, is it's kind of hard to unearth that, if you will. But for me, it was it was really an honor to to write the book. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. And were there any parts of the book that you thought you weren't able to complete or that just might be too difficult? No, I, I think um, because I had read the file over and over and over, read the, the, the court documents and gone back and checked and checked, you kind of have to remove yourself from the process and try not to um, really think about it as you're, as you're putting those, those words down. Um, and again, I, I tried to, um, keep it, I call it by the side of the road, obviously, because that's where she was standing, but there, I opened the book with, um, a quote, if you wait by the river long enough, the bodies of your enemies will float by. And, um, 
thinking about that, thinking about um, the um, ancient Greek mythology of where there are the rivers of, you know, of woe, if you will, and the the move to the heavens and whatever um, in the process between heaven and hell, where you end up. And all of those are a river and a road. And I just kind of tried to get on that path and decide I need to stay on the path and, and not put my toe in the water on either side. I just need to focus on, on moving forward and, and telling this story and keeping Anne at the forefront because it really is uh, at the, the end of the day, it is about Anne Harrison and that she was um, a sweet little girl who was minding her own business and, you know, there, but for the grace of God could, could go any of us. So. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of Anne, I, I just, um, there's only one photo I can find of her just uh, Googling for information about the case. Um, were you able to come across other photos? Yes, there are, there are photos of Anne in the, in the actual book. Um, oh, good. One with David, her boyfriend with family, um, but I think the one that that's obviously most powerful is the one that was released to the media that is is generally always used, which was her high school high school yearbook photo. And um, it's a lovely photo of a, a sweet little girl with a, a great smile. She looks happy. And, and that's what I wanted people to remember is is that smile and that she was there and. Um, you know, just kind of keep her at the forefront. Cause like I say, sometimes we do tend to um, get so caught up in the process that you lose sight of the victims and you don't want criminal justice to be justice for the criminals. You want to, you want to kind of keep that in ba balance, the scales of justice that it's, there's a reason why we're all here. There's a reason to this story and she needs to stay at the forefront. Okay. And you did a great job with this. You also have your other book that I believe was published in 2014, right? Through the Rain. Yes. Uh, so what is next? What's the uh, next project on your docket? Or do you take a little time to collect yourself and, and uh, decompress? I thought I was going to take a little time to decompress, but um, I got, I had um, had a conversation with um, actually a crime scene investigator that had worked with David and he mentioned um, what is known here as the the river murders they were some of the victims not all the victims were prostitutes who were had their legs cut off and were thrown into the Missouri River and it was a serial killer case here in Kansas City that David had worked and I thought well there's a story. And there's a, a story that needs to be told. And again, you know, not a lot is known about some of the victims, but I'm going to start researching that. And um, I'm also researching, um, you know, the, the Margaret Stevenson Scott trials from 1692, which is a little, little more difficult. There's no one there to interview. So I'm working on those. I'm also working on... Um, a collection of short stories um, that are personal short stories about people 
who influenced me as a child, people who sometimes um, you don't realize how much um, a kind gesture, a kind word, um, an influence um, that is kind of a, a lasting legacy, if you will. And, you know, as adults, sometimes I think we tend to, to think about, you know, oh, this happened to me or that experience or I was bullied or this happened. But then if you reach out and start looking for um, the good in things or the influences that people had, I'm, I'm trying to put those together in um, book form. So we'll see what happens. I have about 12 of those done so far. And sometimes that is, I think, the most helpful thing for me. That's a way to decompress, to kind of visit those things, people that, that pop up at, at unusual points in your life. Um, I know um, anecdotally, when David was going through um, the Precious Doe case, um, which was so horrific, if you, you can... I'm sure imagine a decapitated child, a case where he thought, oh, I'll solve this. And in a matter of hours, there's a child missing. Someone will claim her. Five years later, they, they get that, um, get the suspects um, in custody and convicted. But the way he spent his time was to go out and do nature photography. And he would go out and take pictures of, of butterflies and trees and sunsets. And so I think that's what we kind of have to reach out for sometime is, you know, I need to pull away from this and find that which helps me clear my mind as individuals. We, we find um, kind of the brighter side of things if there is such a thing um, when you're dealing with these kinds of crimes. So. Well, Marla, thank you so much for joining us here today. We really appreciate it. And um, where is the best place for people to get your book, your new book, By the Side of the Road? Amazon.com. Um, it's hardback, paperback, and Kindle. Fantastic. And uh, when you're on Amazon, you can also link to your name and get the information on Through the Rain. So, hey, if you're there picking up one of one of Marla's books, you might as well pick up both of them. So there's a endorsement for both books. Thank you so much. 